Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning again. It is the 27th of June, 2022. I'm Carmen LaBurge. If you missed the first hour, I want to encourage you to grab the podcast. We had really excellent and illuminating conversations about the Supreme Court's decision in the Dobbs case, which, um, you know, you'll just know as the Supreme Court's revisiting of Roe v. Wade, which is a 1973 decision of the court, which has now been overturned. Returning the... um, the question of whether or not um, abortion would be accessible to people living in a particular state, returning those decisions to the states themselves. There are 13 states which um, had in place these um, automatic triggers that would ban abortion in those states, um, most of them 30 days after a court's ruling. And so, um, the clock is now ticking for those trigger laws to go into effect for full abortion bans in 13 states across the country. Um, there are other states that have said already, um, we will be abortion sanctuaries. We will be the places to which women from everywhere can come and get an abortion. There are already um, for-profit and nonprofit entities and organizations, some states saying um, we will use, uh, we will offer women uh, the money that they need, not only to travel, um, but to um, be off of work and and stay for uh, extended periods of time, if necessary, in those states where abortions are accessible. So let's be clear. Let's let's be perfectly clear. It's not as if America has suddenly become a nation where abortion is not going to exist. Um, and let's be very, very clear that pharmaceutical abortion, which is now um, on par, chemical abortion, now on par with surgical abortion, um, as in terms of the ways in which Women are terminating their pregnancies. Uh, And so uh, I think that, um, you know, although it's a it is a wonderfully good decision by the Supreme Court, it does not eliminate abortion in the United States of America. This is still a not only accessible, but deeply troubling moral problem that faces us as a country. I would like to spend a couple of minutes this morning um, talking about what makes us angry. Because for 50 years, the righteous anger of Christians and others who are pro-life, that that righteous anger has been uh, what has pressed this conversation continually forward. The only reason we got to the Dobbs case is because there are pro-life pregnancy centers and there are people who are willing to press forward legislation Uh, at the local level and at the state level, and eventually test that at the Supreme Court level. How restrictive can a state be in terms of abortion access? Um, Can you say that as as soon as a fetal heartbeat is um, is evident that, you know, no abortion in this state would be allowed past that point? Like those are the some of the things being tested in these conversations. And so um, 
What we have seen in the aftermath of the uh, decision of the Supreme Court in the Dobbs case is a lot of anger. If you have seen videos of people responding to the announcement of the Supreme Court's decision in the Dobbs case, you have seen a, a kind of anger, a depth of anger, a demonstration of anger that is, um, I don't even really have a word for it. I don't have a word for it. Um, but it did lead me to ask the question, what makes these people so angry? And what, if anything, makes me that angry? And then which anger is righteous? Because there is righteous anger and there is r- anger that is unrighteous. So am I outraged at the things that make God snorting mad? Those are the colorful words of the psalmist. Um, Like, do I get righteously angry? And at what point is my anger unrighteous? Those are some really excellent personal questions to be asking. Psalm 18 is where I am in the word today. I would invite you to read the entirety of Psalm 18 as a part of this conversation. What makes us angry? What does righteous anger look like? And what literally makes God snorting mad? We're going to process Dobbs as we seek to be ambassadors of the king and the kingdom in the midst of this particular kingdom of the world. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and we'll be right back. So speak loud. So the Supreme Court decision um, in the Dobbs case is, I would argue, an affirmation of what's called an originalist reading. So there are there are really two approaches to um, the law, um, particularly when it comes to constitutional law and how we read the Constitution. And some read the Constitution from what's called like a living reading. Right. They are. They see the Constitution as a living document, which means that the document's language changes or our understanding of the language changes as the beliefs and the values of the people of America change. So that's the living reading or the living Constitution reading. The originalist or original reading means that um, the the words of the Constitution actually mean what they say. So if you are um, a person who reads the Bible, trust me when I tell you, you know what this conversation is about uh, in the culture um, about the reading of the Constitution, because you are either reading the Bible as as if it is the very living word of God and that God actually said what he meant and means what he says. And therefore, you hold your life up to the Bible and you let the Bible um, speak to you, guide and direct you. Um, You don't hold the Bible up to yourself and say, well, the Bible is a reflection of my views. The Bible is, uh, is the living word of God in that it changes over time and, uh, and its meaning is adapted to 
my feelings and the mores and values of this day as if God didn't know when he inspired the writers of the Bible that life would be like it is today, that you would um, have before you the choices you have today or that you would feel what you're feeling. Which, by the way, just suggests that God is not God. If God didn't see today coming when he inspired the writers of the Old and New Testaments, if if God didn't anticipate the challenges that we face today in our lives, then God isn't God. And so it's functional atheism that leads to a reading of the Bible where uh, wherein the Bible reflects what we think and feel. It is an originalist reading of the Bible where we say, what does, we, we ask questions and we say, what, what does this say? Um, what did it mean in its original context? At the time that it was spoken to the people who heard it first, what did it mean? What does it mean in the context of the redemptive arc of human history that I now understand because I have read the entirety of the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments? So there's, you know, what does it mean in the context of the whole word of God? And then what what does that mean for me? What does this passage of scripture um, then mean for me, to me, about me and the days in which I live? And it's not just about applying passages of Scripture to life. It's about living as a person with an integrated biblical worldview. It's about being a person who is living with a fully integrated biblical worldview, which means that there are going to be some things that are simply outside of, uh, of, of even the possibility of a set of choices that a Christian might make. It's just not even... It's just outside the bounds of the list of things from which we could even choose. So when you hear um, conversations about uh, how the reading of the Constitution um, has yielded this decision of the Supreme Court and that the originalists have won, that the originalist uh, reading of the Constitution is, is now dominant on the Supreme Court, that's the conversation that you and I as Christians can then turn to. I'm originalist when it comes to uh, the the Bible, and that does not mean that I am, you know, a 100% literalist. I understand that every time we read the Bible, we are interpreting it. And I also understand it's really hard for us to get out of our own way when we're reading the Bible. Like, I read it out of a social location, out of a reality of who I am, and so do you, which is why we we study it and read it in community with brothers and sisters in Christ, and we test what we are, um, what we think the Bible is leading us to believe and do. We test that against what Christians of of other generations have thought about the same passages, and we also test it in community with one another as fellow Christians today. So um, that's the parallel conversation that is uh, is or should be happening among Christians in relationship to the decision of the Supreme Court. In the um, in the Dobbs decision, um, it is a conversation about how we read the Constitution and how the Constitution reads us. And so for Christians, it's a conversation. Then the parallel conversation is how do we read the Bible and how does the Bible read us? More next on Mornings with Carmen. Life is precious, life is sweet, like the Hi, I'm 
Carmen LaBerge. If you are just tuning in, this is Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. We bring the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of the day. We're trying to walk our faith out into the world that God so loves and do so in ways that honor Jesus. So we're cultivating the mind of Christ this morning on on this particular issue of abortion in the culture today. And in the wake now of the overturning of Roe v. Wade, now what? Now what? What's next? I am going to advocate that we um, intentionally press ourselves into the cultivation of a culture of life. That's that is what I think is the what's next for those of us who are Christians in the culture today. Yes, Roe v. Wade has been overturned. That does not mean that abortion is no longer available in the United States of America. The pressing moral concern of sex outside of marriage between one man and one woman um, the pressing concern of sexual violence, the pressing concern of um, of rape. I mean, like, it's not as if there are not going to be pregnancies that um, are unwanted. And so what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What's next? How do we cultivate a culture of life? That's that is, I think, uh, what needs to be now. Uh, we need to be on our front foot. This is not a, hey, that has been accomplished. We can all go uh, go home and tend to other things. No, 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 no. Um, there is now the desperate need for a cultivation of a culture of life. So, what does that look like? One of the things that you and I, as Americans, um, support globally. Um, not here in the United States, but we support it globally, is uh, is a project called The First Thousand Days. And we support it um, uh, like around the world in uh, in in places and spaces that uh, poverty dominates. And the first thousand days is is from the moment of conception, which, by the way, makes us an aggressively pro-life um, nation. If our advocacy globally, and when we talk about the first thousand days, we start counting those first thousand days at conception, then yeah, we're we're acknowledging the reality of life and the reality of human life in the womb. I'm just saying we do so globally in some ways that we don't do so here in the United States. Okay, so the first thousand days program acknowledges that the first thousand days of a person's life, which begins on the day they're conceived, so there's 270-ish days from the time that you are conceived until the time that you are born. That's about the length of a regular pregnancy. And then if you add the 365 days of your first year of life and the 365 days of your second year of life, you get a 1,000 days from conception to your second birthday. All right? So in those first 1,000 days, how your mother is nourished and then how she is able to nourish you has a profound impact on a child's ability to grow, learn, and thrive throughout life. So much is determined in the first thousand days. It's the foundation for lifelong health, lifelong human flourishing. So we focus um, around the world on the first thousand days, how it builds a brain, how it gives everybody a fair start, how it builds health, how it builds prosperity. Um, and, and we, and we talk about investing in that globally. We do this through USAID and a, and a myriad of other, um, of other programs. So I guess I'm wondering, um, why we're not focused on that same initiative here in the United States or what might that look like? 
What might it look like? Because I think we have to have tangible ways to cultivate a culture of life in the United States of America. And it is going to take something, you know, kind of catchy that everybody can jump on board with. Um, So what if we initiated among every church in America, every Christian school in America, every every hospital, every outreach to um, to pregnant mothers through every crisis pregnancy center? I mean, go down the list, right? What if we, through every high school, what if we focused on the first thousand days and we recognized and acknowledged that that first thousand days of a person's life begins the day that they're conceived and it takes them through their second birthday? I mean, what kind of investment might we be willing to make in the first thousand days? And when I say investment, I'm not just talking about financial investment, but yes, I am talking about a financial investment. What would that look like? I mean, could we dream a little bit about that? Could we could we put some pen to pen to paper on that? Could we noodle that through? Um, and then I also want to um acknowledge and a and address um the concern that I have for people who are responding with violence and anger toward others. And I want to pray a hedge of protection around uh, crisis pregnancy centers across the country, pro-life advocacy groups across the country. Um, And I want to ask God to to protect them. Um, You may not know that there is a map of uh, clinics, pro-life pregnancy clinics. There is a map of those clinics circulating around um, organizations that are uh, interested in the destruction of such efforts. And it has produced vandalism at clinics in um, in Puget Sound, um, in Colorado, in Lynchburg, Virginia, in uh, Paso Robles, California. Those are just the ones over the weekend. Um, add that to the list of the more than 50 that had already been attacked and vandalized in um, in the weeks prior. We are talking about um, an open assault on on crisis pregnancy centers and Roman Catholic churches, by the way, across the country. And so I want us to take our counsel from James chapter one. I want us to recognize that um, anger and particularly violence associated with anger does not produce the righteousness of God. Um. This is from James chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone thinks he's a religious person, but does not bridle his tongue, deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. We have got to cultivate a culture of life. And I am wondering, I am wondering what it might look like for us to invest nationally here in the United States of America in a first thousand days campaign. From conception to the second year of a child's life, to their second birthday. What, what might that look like? Because we're going to have to get that out there on the front foot in, ter- in terms of being pro-life. 
And it's going to have to be in support of women who are pregnant um, and have no idea how they are going to bring that child into a place of human flourishing, which is clearly God's will for each and every one of us. All right. We um, we are going to talk about talking with and finding peace with those with whom we disagree. We've got a really exciting conversation up next with Olathe Barnett. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, what does it look like for us to um, to talk it out? What does it look like for us to talk with people with whom we disagree and to sow peace into our communities? We live in a, a world of diverse people, thoughts, and opinions. So as God would have it, Olathe Barnett is going to join us next. She's a theologian. She's a lawyer, a conflict resolution specialist. She directs the conflict resolution ministry at Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas, Texas. She's been providing conflict resolution services um, for many years. And for those of us who need peace and want to live into our calling to be peacemakers and ministers of reconciliation, um, we need some equipping on this. So Alethe's new book is Diversity of a Different Kind, and we're going to talk about conflict resolution next here on Mornings with Carmen. Welcoming Alethe Barnett to Mornings with Carmen. We're going to talk about her brand new book, Diversity of a Different Kind. We're also just going to talk about conflict resolution. What does it look like and how do we do it? Alethe, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right. So when we hear the word diversity, we think about diversity, our brains in this culture, um, go to one or two places, where, where is that? And what are you trying to lead us to that's different than that? Where that is generally, generally people look at right, <laughs> excuse me, I've got a cough this morning, look at race and culture, but diversity is far beyond that. God created uh, diversity. And in the book, I talk about at least 12 uh, different aspects of diversity. And when I talk about diversity, I'm simply talking about differences, whether it's spiritual gifts, personality. We all know we have those personality clashes, learning styles, race, generational differences, gender, and even religion, politics. We've got a lot going on with that right now, even the way we handle conflict. And we can even have conflicts based on our personal preferences. And of course, it directly relates to our spiritual maturity level, the more mature, the better we handle conflict, the less mature, we won't handle it as well. I think that even even seeing what you're saying is a starting point. So you talk about the need for us to have a different perspective, um, a different way of looking at ourselves and others and the differences between us, That a different perspective on diversity. Can you can we start there? Absolutely. It's a diversity theory uh, that I believe God uh, gave me. 
we know, we often say that God loves diversity. Look around at all the diversity he made. But God is also strategic. I woke one morning with the thought that God made diversity to make us holy more than just because he loves diversity. And so I think we're missing it when we allow diversity to cause clashes because the the theory is, the belief is three parts of it, that God created human diversity to give us naturally arising opportunities to practice biblical principles. And in doing that, the byproduct is Christ-like growth. And so when we have these diversity encounters, when we apply biblical principles, we grow. And growth will give us the maturity and the wisdom to unify rather than uh, divide. So these diversity encounters, it's like God set us up to grow us up. And when we embrace each other, no matter what the diversity is, whether it's a personality conflict, race, generational differences, whatever the case, when we embrace those, we can grow. I have what I call diversity embrace, which is godly acceptance or tolerance of others. And then it would be the diversity rub. That's sinful intolerance. It's like rubbing two sticks together to get the fire. And so we should embrace Mm. what God did and grow from it. I can learn from you. You can learn from me. We can learn from each other. So when I talk about embrace, I'm not talking about embracing sin. Obviously, I'm talking about God-given differences. Even Yeah, you're talking about those those unchangeable things. Yes, absolutely. The unchangeable Mm -hmm. things. None of us can take any credit or discredit for the race we are, the spiritual gifts God gave us, our personalities. We just need to submit all of those unchangeable differences, submit those to God. So, Olathe, let me um, let me maybe describe something for um, for those of us who are who are listening right now. So my one of my spiritual gifts is exhortation. And I can tell you that that can come across as a rub to um, to many, many, many people. And and yet expressing my spiritual gift of exhortation is I I mean, it's not like I can resist it. I can try to smush it down, but it does not stay down like right. It's like. Yeah. So um, talk with me about as a person with a particular spiritual gift whose whose spiritual gift sometimes rubs people the wrong way. um, Like, how do I responsibly share that gift in an environment where maybe it's not super welcome? That's a great question. It's not only you, but it's also the other person. One of the principles in the book is to allow for the differences of others, allow for the differences of others, which means respecting the other person and also respecting the different, whether it be an opinion, whether it be a spiritual gift, because the bottom line is that you're wired that way. That's just a part of your DNA. And as you said, you couldn't stop it if you tried just like you have your spiritual gifts, other people have their spiritual gifts, and we need every one of those. The Bible is very clear that the spiritual gifts are for unifying and maturing the body of Christ. So just like we should accept your gifts, 
uh, also accept other gifts, it all works together for good. And it's by God's uh, design. And if you'll notice, he didn't give any one person every gift. That's so that we will need each other. We need encouragement. We need your gifts. We need the other gifts. And so rather than let that be a diversity rub factor, we should embrace it and be grateful because there are times when people need your gift and the various other gifts for the building up of the body. That's so good. That's so helpful. We're talking with Alatha Barnett, her brand new book. Well, it's a couple of months old now. Um, we're talking about diversity of a different kind. We're talking about how we um, build each other up, how we lean into diversity, recognizing that it is uh, that it's God given and that God loves it. It's a fresh appro- approach to resolving conflict. Um, Alatha, let's talk about conflict directly. What what is conflict, um, and how you know as a person who is called to be a minister of reconciliation? Like, how do I lean into conflict appropriately? That's great. And I like the fact that you mentioned minister of reconciliation, because that's every uh, believer. Uh, Conflict is just disharmony in relationships, disharmony in relationships. And conflict is unavoidable. There's no way we can get around it. Wherever you have people, we'll have conflict. So the nature of conflict is that it's unavoidable. It can also kill peace and also be a channel to increase peace. We let our differences lead to division. Often the differences are a source of division, whereas they really should be a source of growth and unity when we learn to embrace what God um, has given. So conflict, it's inevitable since Genesis 3, the fall, (laughs) we're going to have conflict. And so, but God is a God of peace. And the thing that we forget, even as believers, when we encounter diversity and we end up in conflict, uh, we forget that conflict itself is not the problem. It's the condition of the heart that is the problem. So let's love. And and actually, Carmen, it's summed up in the two greatest commandments. Love God, my interpretation is, with everything within you and then love your neighbor as yourself. And if we get that love factor right, then uh, everything else will uh, resolve itself. We can love, and I always say separate the person from from their conduct. Their conduct may be off. However, the person is valuable because they're made in the image of God. And we treat valuables with care treat everyone with love and respect and care the way we would like to be treated, would like for them to treat us. And then that itself would help go a long way for resolving conflict. So Aletha, I, I feel like um, this gets down to even just the the way that we look at one another. So I'm, I'm getting my uh, pedicure and across the, you know, across the pit from me is an older woman um, and her granddaughter. They're sitting next to each other. They're getting pedicures. And the woman who sits down to start the pedicure um, on the older woman, she has um, a, a brand new but unfinished tattoo that runs the entire length of her right arm. This is a beautiful young woman. 
And you can tell by the expression on the face of the older woman that she does not approve. (laughs) She has a very disapproving (laughs) face. And yet through her very disapproving faith, face she she's trying to make conversation and and she says um well i think that's new like right she's trying she's doing her but her face is saying i think that's new and i don't like it um and i was i was like consciously sitting in my chair trying to project a different face to the older woman like i'm because i think she's i think she absolutely has a heart of love um, and yet it's just like, oh, that condemnation comes out in our eyes and in our facial expression um, when we give ourselves away. So can we talk a little bit about um, the unspoken part of these conversations when we come back? Absolutely. Awesome. We're talking with Aletha Barnett. We're talking about um, diversity. We're talking about a different kind of diversity. Diversity of a different kind is the book, A Fresh Approach to Resolving Conflict. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Conflict is everywhere and differences seem to be tearing apart our families, our community, our country, um, we need help in terms of living into our calling as ministers of reconciliation, people who sow peace in the world, peacemakers. And that's what Olathe Barnett is offering us in her new book, Diversity of a Different Kind. You can find um, Olathe and other resources, including Diversity of a Different Kind and its companion workbook at conciliationservices.com, conciliationservices.com. Aletha, let's talk about, um, uh, let's talk about how we communicate in a culture that is so diverse, how we communicate not only verbally, but non-verbally. Like the embrace part of this conversation is, is physical as well as verbal. Absolutely. The demeanor, we talk many different ways, not just in our words, but in our demeanor and our, like you mentioned, the, uh, the, the um, older woman who was trying to relate to the younger woman, but she had this disapproving look on her face. <laughs> Oftentimes, the lenses through which we look color what we see. From her generation, certainly you wouldn't have a tattoo down your arm. And it really goes back also to allow for the differences of others. We judge the outward appearance and God judges the heart. Uh, That young lady obviously had a different experience and a totally different generation. And we even talk about generational differences Uh, in the book. So we're really talking about allowing for the differences of others and embracing the person. Now, that conduct in and of itself may not have been sinful, the conduct of having uh, the tattoo on the arm, but it's something that uh, most of us or many of us uh, would not have done. And so the key here is to remember, and I love the fact that you mentioned Minister of Reconciliation, every believer is a minister of reconciliation, not just preachers and teachers. And a minister of reconciliation not only brings people to Christ, but also 
tries to live a peaceful, reconciled life and also help others to do the same. And so that young lady may have needed witnessing to, but if she sees that disapproving look, then it's not likely she would be open to uh, being ministered to. And on the other hand, you can't judge a book by the cover. We well know she could have already uh, known Christ. So it's not about what's on the outside. Have proper regard for everyone. And we must, even in mediation, I teach my team, watch your unspoken language to the parties. You want to be open and receiving, accepting so that you can help them. Uh, Treat them with respect and dignity. That unspoken language is a part of it. And the key is always to let who you are dictate your actions. If we profess Christ, we're his ambassadors. And so that should dictate our actions, whether in words or in uh, demeanor and unspoken uh, language. And of course, show love. The key is showing love. Can you tell me about resolution land? <laughs> uh, yes. Resolution land, obviously it's not a, a, a physical location, <laughs> but it's where you have an ongoing mindset to pursue peace and harmony uh, with others. It's your mindset and attitude that brings peacemaking action. And which of course also includes your body language, your communication and your uh, behavior toward the the person. So you're living in resolution land is just always having a mindset and open to peace and harmony and embracing differences uh, that are not sinful. So I feel like resolution land um, historically, if I kind of go back in time, um, there were these there were these places and spaces where people went to seek resolution. And maybe it was at the city gate where the elders sat. Maybe it was before a judge. Um, I think that many people just move further and further away from those with whom they disagree, hoping that, um, you know, by avoidance, the problem will, or by the building of a wall, um, the problem will go away. Um, talk with us about resisting the temptation to to wall ourselves in or wall others out or to move away from one another, you know, because that, that, is, a, that, that is not resolution. That's hopelessness. That is exactly right. God designed us to live in community. We only grow in community with others. So we have to interact and work through those differences, and it helps us uh, grow. And so we need to embrace, we live in community, we interact with um, varying uh, differences, which helps us uh, grow. And um, as you said, um, sometimes at the city gate in the um, uh, Bible times, there were places and spaces that we go. But now... Each of us as a minister of reconciliation uh, needs to help and to um, embrace and those differences and help others. Not only do we avoid them, oftentimes, and we see it in society, those who differ, we tend to make them the enemy to be destroyed. And we see that in the culture. And so uh, living in community, we embrace and we grow from learning from others and also applying biblical principles to 
uh, that situation. I call it uh, what I call it. It's like a three prong test. And the first one is to remember that when you have a diversity encounter, that's an assignment. That's an assignment from God to help you grow. And so in that assignment, then you remember that you are a minister of reconciliation for peace. You represent Christ. And then you apply biblical principles to that situation. It will help you grow. It will benefit the other person and also the kingdom. It's so good. It's so helpful. Um, You guys want to check out not only um, the book, but you want to check out the other resources that Aletha has at her website. Again, the website is conciliationservices.com. The book is Diversity of a Different Kind. There's also a companion workbook. Um, each and every one of us, you know, we're, we are each and every one ministers of reconciliation. It's not as if some of us are sitting at the city gate um, adjudicating the concerns and conflicts of the day. We're all those people today. We're each and every one ministers of reconciliation. And so let's get equipped not only for um, the conflict we experience in our own lives, but that others who are in conflict might see us as people to whom they could turn um, to help them resolve the conflicts that they are experiencing with others. Aletha, thank you so much for joining us today, and thank you so much for diversity of a different kind. Thank you for having me. It was a joy. Absolutely. Likewise. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Let's walk it out into the world that God so loves um, today in ways that honor Jesus. It's not just in the words that we say. It is in our posture. It is in the way we carry ourselves. I love the conversation about demeanor. And I wrote down in my notes, um, you know, what's my demeanor? Is it just meaner? Like, right? I don't want to be a mean. I don't want to be a meanie. Um, But my demeanor should reflect the seriousness and... Um, and the grace, the mercy, the truth, all of it. So how of Jesus Christ. And so how am I presenting Christ today in a way that brings him glory? You are representing Christ in every conversation, in every encounter. Um, let's be embracing the diversity of the world in which we live in ways that honor Jesus. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.